Hey everybody, welcome to episode 6 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Lee, with my co-host, Stephen Lewis. What's up, Stephen? Hello. How's it going, man? Good, how are you? Good, good. We're in Trainer Road HQ again. Of course. We're just posted up, using their microphones, and recording a mountain bike podcast. Free! Yes, thank you very much, Trainer Road, for for doing that, as always. Um, uh, but we have some mountain bike podcast stuff to cover. Thank you, first of all, for everybody tuning in. Did you know that we have over... 200 people that like us on Facebook, apparently, which I think means we're sort of a big deal. Facebook told me today, you're a big deal. You can do different <laughs> things now. Ooh. I don't know what that means. <laughs> so, yeah. <Ooh. laughs> so, but thank you. Just the same. Uh, thanks for everybody following on the, following us on Instagram and everything else. If you follow us on Instagram, um, you're, and you listen to this podcast and you listen to this podcast, but I notice a lot of people following us on Instagram and maybe they don't listen to us on the podcast. For example, Daniel Fetterspiel. Have you heard that name before? No. You might have. He's a two-time world champ. And he's a world, two-time world champ of a genre of mountain bike racing that doesn't, it isn't sanctioned by the UCI anymore. It's a quiz. Do you know who? Four cross. No, not four cross. But that's <laughs> a really good one. XC Eliminator. Oh, Eliminator. Yes. Yes. So, okay. th- which is like four riders or, or a, a gaggle, if you will, yeah. of riders that would all start at the same time. Yeah. Um, originally it was supposed to be like urban to like bring XC racing into a city. Um, but it started to be a little more just like a short loop on trail, uh, usually something like that. Anyways, Daniel Fetterspiel has legs that are like Oaks. Just, he's a short races, really good sprinter, right? Makes sense. Okay. He followed us on Instagram. We Ooh. chatted on Instagram and he's like, I didn't even know about the actual podcast. I just thought you guys were a cool Instagram channel. Yeah. So, well, now, good pictures, apparently. Yeah, yeah, good pictures. Now he listens. Oh, good. So, Daniel, I'm glad you're listening. Thanks for listening, man. And uh, you're, you're a beast, man. Two-time world champ. That's pretty cool. Yes, sir. So, anyways, if you know a two-time world champ or somebody that isn't a two-time world champ, they should listen to the Mountain Bike Podcast. You should tell them about it. Share it on your social channels. You can review the podcast on iTunes, five stars only. If you don't feel like it's five-star worthy, then just shoot us an email like many of you have done. You've actually placed like 4.99 stars contingent upon us answering your question. Yeah, seriously. We're desperate, so we're answering your questions, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, But yeah, review the podcast, share it, all those things. It's all good. Uh, let's get into... Um, there's no other house cleaning items or anything else like that, right, Stephen? I don't think so. Cool. Let's get into questions. Uh, there are a lot of them this week. We have a lot. And we're going to try to do this thing close to an hour. I'm going to give it a shot. We'll, we'll probably try. fail. But hour and six minimum. Yeah. <laughs> <that's> <laughs> precise time. Sergio. Uh, hello, guys. Great podcast thus far. I'm really digging it. My wife, and I know Sergio, by the way. Sergio, um, good dude uh, from the Bay Area. So good man. Uh, he says, my wife bought me my first mountain bike for my birthday, and this bike came with a tubeless setup. My questions are, how much sealant should I use for a 29er? How often should I replace or change the sealant? And what sealant do you recommend? Let's order it. Uh, we'll do three, one, two on this. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, orange seal. Yes. Longest lasting. Um, typically doesn't become the famous stanimal. Stanimal. Um, yeah. Stanimals. Everybody loves the Sea urchin looking things yeah. that bounce around in your tires if you haven't changed it. Yeah. The best part is when you try to figure out what kind of animal they actually look like, not just a sea urchin, but um, there's actually an Instagram page <laughs> called Share Your Stanimal. Really? So if you want to <laughs> follow that, people. That's awesome. 
Um, so orange seal endurance, um, if you're in a fat bike or in some sort of really cold weather, they actually make a sub zero version. They make a cold weather one. So that's actually pretty cool, but their normal stuff's good to like 20 degrees Fahrenheit. I've never had an issue with it. I've never had an issue with it either. Yeah. Um, how often should you replace it? Typically six to nine months. So I say you've got a solid season on it and then check before the next season. Let's clarify really quick. That's with orange seal. Yeah, that's with orange seal. With stands, you will need to change it more often. Yeah, stands, I've never seen stands last more than three months. It's yeah. usually eight to ten weeks and yeah. then done. And then it's done. Yeah. Uh, one thing really quick on this, too. Yeah. I have had leaks that have not sealed with stands. Okay. I have never had a leak. Even a sidewall tear that was like an inch long, I have never had a leak not seal with orange seal. I have, but, you know. You are exceptional. <clears throat> Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so... Uh, I don't know if that was a compliment, actually, but <laughs> we'll go with take it. Take it as you will. Yeah. Um, but the the cool part about Orange Seal, like you said, you mentioned that really it's a, it's a relatively long duration. Yeah. You can get a lot of mileage out of right. it. And it does typically, you know, actually seal bigger holes yeah. than stands ever could dream of. So yeah. it's good uh, stuff. And let's cover something really quick, too. Yeah. Homebrew sealant. A lot of people I see, they like take like the, the lint out of their pockets and out of their dryer trap and they put it into their and sealant. And glitter and all and that. glitter. And you know what? At the end of the day, if you feel better about your homebrew stuff, Sweet. great. But at the end of the day, it's not any cheaper. And right. anybody who says it is actually isn't, they don't know what they're talking about because I've right. already done the math. Um, the only difference is you can take orange seal and maybe add a little bit of the heavy flake glitter yeah. and that'll just make it a little bit better. Yeah. No need to do anything like that and it's still just as inexpensive. I completely agree. Yeah. So how much should you use in a 29? On a 29er, if you're talking XC bike where you've got a 2.1 to a 2.2, mm-hmm. two to three ounces. But if you're talking a trail bike with 235 or 240 tires, three to four. Right. You know, I always run between three and four on any of my bikes, but that's because I'd rather be safe than sorry than save that 35 grams of Another extra weight. Another sealant question. Yeah. When you, when your sealant, uh, let's say you change your tires out and you're going from one set of a tire or one set of tires to another, but you might put that old tire back on your bike at some point. So a scenario like this would be like, you have your practice tires on, but a race is coming up. So you want to switch over to a specific set of tires for a specific race. Mm-hmm. You switch them out, but afterward you plan on putting those old tires back on. Okay. Usually the tire gets a, a smooth dermis layer, if yeah, you will. The inner of, skin. Uh, yeah, exactly. It gets yeah. a layer of that sealant. Should you peel that off or I, should you keep it on? I don't because that will just rebuild itself and you'll end up wasting more sealant. Yeah. So if you just leave the skin on and clean the excess out so it doesn't pool up and become solid in there to mm-hmm. create an imbalance, then that's the best case scenario. So yep. just leave the skin in there. I always do that. I mean, I go through tires more than most people do, right. mostly through just testing and trying all different kinds of stuff mm-hmm. um, or all different kinds of tires. But usually I always leave the skin in. I never clean it out. What about the bead? If you have some sealant around the bead? I've never had an issue. If the there's a big sp- chunk of it, I'll remove it, but I don't right. clean it perfectly, and I've never had anything not seal. The only thing I can see with that it would be if you have like a flat spot in your rim, you should probably get a new rim anyway. Well, yeah. But if you have a flat spot in your rim and there's like a lot of buildup there or something, yeah, clean that off. Of course. But, you know, you should probably get a new rim anyway. Um, cool. I think that covers it. Solid stuff. Steven, you, you brought the tips right there. That was good. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Dylan, and I think this is Dylan Santos. It is Dylan Santos. Well, good unless man. someone, some random person named Dylan <laughs> yeah. wants to be a guest star. Yeah, true, yeah. yeah. First off, I love your podcast. You guys have now helped me through long drives, long rides, and something about Stephen Lewis's voice 
makes my intervals just that much better. I have that effect on every rider. Mm, yeah, it, you you do have a voice for radio and a face for radio, <laughs> as I'm told. <laughs> yeah, uh, you do have a voice for radio, and I don't. So I apologize to everyone listening to this. Anyways, uh, in all seriousness, he says, I want your advice or opinion on intervals on the trainer. I've tried this a few times and it seems like I can't hit the same power numbers as I can outdoors. Is this just a mental thing being that you're not moving or does it have to do with physics? You can call me crazy, but every time I've tried, uh, tried my power numbers are actually 20 to 40 Watts lower on the trainer. Is there any tips or advice you can give to help me with the issue? Thanks guys. And keep up the good work. PS. I want to guest star at some point. We'll make that happen. Yes. Dylan will be on the show. He's going to move up here uh, for the summer actually and train up here. So he will be around. Sweet. So we can interview him. Um, And probably before then, too. So I know this is totally in your wheelhouse, but Mm -hmm. I do. Please. Yeah, yeah. The one thing that I've always found, and this is coming from a smart trainer like a compu trainer, which I used religiously for a long time as my winter training. Old school trainer that plugs into a computer rather than communicates wirelessly. Yes. Yep. So in that, on intervals, I can regularly hit 1600, 1800 Watts for a solid four or five seconds before it starts tapering off. Right. And I can, I can hold 900 Watts for 45 seconds, Mm -hmm. 800 Watts for a minute and a half. Mm -hmm. Like I can hold a lot of power on there and I don't feel like I've ever been able to do anything like that on a mountain bike. Yeah. So, so that's where I guess my question would also tie in with Dylan. So now I want you to take over. So, um, First off, let's cover the inside versus outside thing. It's super common, Dylan. You are uh, you are normal in this case. Most people see this. There's a couple of reasons for this. Number one, you're on a trainer. You, If you're talking about high power output, we're talking like peak power that you'd see during a sprint, you're never going to be able to hit the numbers that you would on a trainer than you would outside. Just because of the fact that the bike is locked in, you aren't able to just reef on the bike. You're probably even if you don't think that you're scared about breaking your bike, you probably are scared about breaking your bike, but you're not going to just reef. You're not torquing it back and forth like you can to To get even more power. Because remember power is not how hard you press on the pedals. It's a function of how hard you press on them and how quickly you are rotating them. Yes. And that's a big misunderstanding. A lot of people think, oh, big power. He puts out so much power because he spins a low gear and presses really hard, and that's not the case. No, that's a lot of torque. Exactly That's not right. a lot of power. There's two different things. Yes. So it is physics, Dylan. Aha, uh-huh. yes. So um, so there's there's that part of things in the sense that it's tougher to really put out that that torque and speed that you would put outside. If you're and because the resistance power. curve is very different. You can't replicate reality on a trainer no no matter how hard you very true try. which that's a whole discussion for another day about how i think that on a different to, podcast rep, yeah 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 exactly <laughs> well, i think replicating reality on a trainer is kind of pointless like yeah. a trainer just has a different goal but um so really getting to this though the biggest thing and it even if you have a fan directly on you the biggest thing is cooling yeah. um you don't realize that so the effects of evaporative cooling almost disappear on a trainer if you don't have a fan and the reason for that is because you sweat that sweat creates a, a layer of warm liquid around your body, basically. It stops your body from be actually being able to cool the surface if you don't have a fan going on you, yeah. right? Because your body is radiating heat, and then it's got just a, a layer it's an of insulation water barrier. Over. Exactly right. Yeah. However, if you have a fan on, that will help with that, right? Yeah, but you still don't have the same effect of the cubic feet per minute of air flowing over yep. you like you do on the outside. Even on a warm day. Inch. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So you don't have the thermodynamic properties. Again, physics. Yes, yes exactly right. So here's the interesting thing. 
when you are riding your bike or when you're in, in an active state, uh, is in riding a bicycle, 75% of the energy consumption in your body is going to thermoregulation. Yes. That only leaves 25% roughly, 25% in the best case. It's usually closer to like 21% to 23%. Only that, that's only left for power to turn the pedals. Yeah. So that's something that's pretty crazy for us to think about. Well, you know, in the car world, if you think about that, 30% efficiency of an internal combustion engine is about the industry standard. The rest is lost to heat. Yep, exactly. So it's the same concept. Same concept. So our bodies have countless little machines in them called mitochondria that are taking, that are putting out heat at all times, yep. right? So that's something that, that a lot of the time we don't recognize that. And when you're talking about, they've even, so they haven't done exhaustive studies and it's not like, you know, riders might know their VO2 max or their FTP. They don't know the thermodi- thermodynamic efficiency. They don't, they don't know that. No. That's something that's not tested commonly. However, there are some studies that were done in the 80s on elite athletes, comparing them to a whole range of athletes, to beginners all the way up. And they did find a correlation between professional, it was Olympic athletes actually, okay. and they had a greater efficiency. There was one person that was measured at 24.1%, and that was the highest they had heard of or found. Yeah, that person was exceptional, and I believe it was a runner. I could be wrong though, but that person was exceptional, um, an exceptional athlete. Gotcha. So that makes sense, right? Yeah. If you just have a small percentage of more, you know, your, your that energy can go toward moving you further down the trail or anything else, and you'd be more effective. So anything you can do to help yourself cool off on the trainer is going to be beneficial. Don't think that because you're on the trainer, you need to sweat. And you need to make it as miserable as possible. And you need to just stare at a wall and and just sweat. You know, that's not the point. Yeah. Um, the Really, the point of the trainer is to be, the, the point should be, is to have the best workout possible. And to do that, you want to make sure that you're cooled off well. So that's really probably the biggest difference, Dylan, uh, in terms of how, why people can't put out the same power inside as they can outside. The mental folk, you know, focus, mental fortitude, everything else comes into that. It's much easier for you to perhaps focus on getting to that finish line and you may be putting out more power then because you're more focused on that compared to on the trainer, especially if you're on the trainer in a begrudging manner, right? You're, you're not excited about doing anyway, it. just being there. Exactly. So there are a lot of different factors that come into that. There's some really cool books. Um, like there's one called how bad do you want it? And that book goes over the mental side of things. And I thought of my performance on the trainer a lot during when I was listening to that book. And it was really, I felt like it was Infor- is it informative? And also I feel like I made some changes as a result in my mindset when I'm training. So bottom line for Dylan or anybody else who might have the same question, don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. It's 20 normal. to 40 Watts difference. That's normal. Just some, focus on the quality of your workout. Yeah. And I guess and the last thing to add to this is over time, you will see them get closer. Okay. Uh, you should, I should say you, you should see them get closer. And that's because you'll become more familiar with the trainer. You will be able to, uh, fulfill more of your capacity on the trainer and you'll be able to really just get more out of yourself. There. Start riding rollers, Dylan. You know what? I'm all for it. I like rollers. <laughs> so, uh, cool. Uh, Robbie, he says XC training question for you guys. Although this may be more of a trainer road question. Thank you. Trainer road again for microphones and office space. Uh, what is the best way to maintain fitness after finishing a specialty phase. I'm going to explain what all this weird mumbo jumbo means. Uh, like if you were to peak early in the year, but have races throughout the summer, thanks and keep up the good work. So basically the way that, um, our training plans work in trainer road is we break them up into three phases. So it's base, build specialty, right? Base is not 
is specific, but we're in terms of like it's uh, the adaptation. No, I shouldn't say that. It's it's still very specific. Basically, you are just laying the foundations, and then as you get closer toward the end of your training, once you hit that specialty phase, you pick a plan that is very specific to the demands of your event. So, Whether you're racing cyclocross or you're doing 24 hour or gravity races, mountain bike racing or exactly or yeah. a cross country Olympic cross country marathon. There's a, a bunch of different plans. 80 mile road racing versus a criterium race exactly. plan. There's yeah totally different demands, right? Yes. So um, so yeah, that's how that that's what he's talking about there. He's talking about reaching a peak for a specific event, and then what does he do for the rest of the summer? It's kind of reminds me of the question that anchor had in terms of maintaining motivation because this can certainly affect your motivation if you've peaked of course because usually when you reach peak fitness and if you have reached it before you know what it feels like because you feel fast and you feel fragile (laughs) like if you get it's really easy to get sick it's really easy to get fatigued everything else but you're really riding that line between fitness and freshness and power and weight. Um, it's a fast place to be, but it's also a precarious place to be. Of course. So it's an instable equilibrium. Uh, indeed. We're getting, I feel like we're just hitting them with differential equations, man. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm in school again. Um, so, but, uh, in this case, basically what you can do, you can't maintain a peak for a whole season. It's a peak. It's not we're it's not a plateau, right? So you can peak for a specific event. And then what I would recommend is be choosy, uh, you know, choose events that you want to race, choose events that you don't want to race and, and try to rebuild up to another peak. So that's probably the most effective way to do it and to make sure that you're still doing well. However, if you just want to maintain fitness and go through that, probably one of the best ways to do it. If you're following a trainer road training plan, just repeat the last two weeks of the plan over and over and over as you go through the season, the last two weeks of your specialty plan, keep going, keep going. And I'll explain what that is. So basically it's high intensity, but short duration. We're cutting down the volume pretty dramatically. Okay. And the reason for keeping the intensity high is because we don't want to lose all of those gains, so to speak. I'm thinking of kind of like, um, you know, the, when you're at like a, a fair or a circus and you slam the hammer down and it shoots that little thing up in the air, yeah. you know, and you have like that height mark, yeah. we're still trying to get up to where you were there. We want to keep things, we want to keep that tank topped off, so to speak. Yeah. But at the same time, we want to allow your body to recover because- So we're going to drop into a valley and recover and come back two weeks later and keep doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also we're going to, the workouts are going to be just as intense as they were before, but they'll just be, there'll be a lot less of it. Yeah. So that way we're not, tiring your body out too much because it's already in that state. So do you, do you want, um, a rider like this to cut down to a different volume level of training or do you want to keep everything identical? Yeah. Yeah. You can, it, that all depends on how you feel. Right. And that's one thing that you'll recognize that if you do reach peak fitness and then you start to feel bad or you start to get sick or anything else like that, then back it down and be okay with dropping from that peak for a bit. That's all right. And if you're not sharp one day and you're a little more sharp the next, whatever, that's how things go, you know? But I think the best way to maintain peak fitness is to cut down the volume and, but to keep the intensity high and uh, just pick your battles. Okay. That'd be the easiest way. Good call. Uh, Cindy, can we download maps of mountain bike trails where we live and where we travel? Are they difficulty rated like ski runs, i.e. expert, intermediate, beginner? Thanks. Uh, yeah, you can a number of ways, right? Um, so what do you use Steven to Uh, like figure out where to ride when you go to a place? I call my friends. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but in, in all actuality, if you want to find new trails, obviously Strava is always a good place to find the heat map feature feature. is great. 
And it is even getting a lot better in the mountain side of things. It, it used is. to be great for road, but now it's getting better in mountain. But, um, you know, Pink Bike has their Trail Forks. Which is really app, good. Which is, it's on their website and it's available as an iPhone and Android app. Yep. And it's really good. It's, you know, people upload um, GPX files from their Garmins mm-hmm. and they talk about the trail, how to get there, difficulty levels, you know, uh, people post pictures of them. That's a, I think Trail Forks is probably the best to cover all of, yeah, you know, I'd say so. The the entire nation. You um, get a whole lot more information with the trail rather than just where to go yeah. as well. You know, you get like like you said all the other you know, you can have pictures, you can have descriptions, you can have everything else. Yeah. Then beyond that, there is obviously everywhere has their local like Tuesday night beer ride group. We have Tuesday night ride group on Facebook um, and a Yahoo group here in Reno. Um, But there's groups like that all over. Mm -hmm. The other thing is call your local shops. Yes. You know, the shop that I've, I'm associated with here, great basin bicycles has on their website, pretty much every map, you know, it's it's, it's a little outdated, obviously, but it's, um, it's super helpful. But It is super helpful with every single trail, network in the area as of say 2006. Yeah. And so it's, it is outdated. Yes. But all those trails are still there yep. with driving directions to get to them and color coded maps that are to, uh, topographical. I, it's so there's a Pretty lot of cool. places like that. A lot of bike shops do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, check with your local shops. Yeah. That's really the best start. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, I would recommend trail forks and, and, yeah. Strava. And us eventually when we get into that business too. Yeah, that's right. We're doing that? Yeah, we're nice. going to do it again. You're building it, right? Wait. Building what? <laughs> the app? I No. I, I don't. I have a hammer. <laughs> yeah, that won't work. Okay. <laughs> All right. Preston, uh, he says, hey guys, I'm really loving the show so far. I'm looking to buy a new bike soon, but I'm on a fairly tight budget and as, as I'm a full-time student. I ride a mix of XC and Trail. I heard you say the Marin Hawk Hill is a great bike for the money, but the YT Capra AL Comp 2 is, a, is on sale for $2,500 and the component build on that bike is very impressive. My worry is that the Capra will be too much bike for what I ride. If not that bike, what would you recommend? Currently, I ride a Diamondback Hard tail and I'm ready for an upgrade. Any feedback is appreciated. Two things. He can either go with a plus, t- a plus tired hardtail mm-hmm. and keep it in the thousand dollar price range. Cannondale's Cujo. Um, Trek has their, um, uh, their stash in a few different versions of aluminum that are going to yep. be in that price point. Specialized has the <clears throat> fuse. That might be the women's version, but they have a but similar way, thing. They have one. Yeah. But you can also in the sub $2,000 price point, Trek has the fuel EX Cannondale has their scalpel and their habit in, I think, $1,800 price points or even a little bit cheaper. Yep. Um, I think the specialized camber comes close to that. You can get one in a build that's close to that level. Yeah. So It might a, not have the same specs that the Capra AL Comp 2 has. No, and, it, in terms and I of guarantee like, it won't. Yeah. Here's the difference, though. Capra, you're talking a full-on enduro bike. So unless you want a 32, 33-pound aluminum six inch travel bike. That's not going to do. I'm sorry. I I do love the YTs Yeah, and I'm going to be riding a Jeff C soon to, you know, get some ideas on how, you know, review purposes. Yeah. But the Capra does not climb well at all. I don't. So I can't recommend that as a good all around bike unless you're an enduro gravity guy. You know, um, I'll give this guy a shout out right now. Brian Kennedy, a BKXC on his channel. He came to Reno and and rode one and, and he has a review that's up on YouTube of the Capra and, his takeaway was, huh, it's it's good. It 
just doesn't do anything outstanding, but it's it's good. Yeah. But also, he was riding on typical or typical trails that you would see. Yeah. Um, XC ish. Also, some stuff that was just a little more spicy than XC, but XC ish. And he said it just felt like way too much because he was bike. using thirty percent of the bike. Way too That's much it. bike. Yeah. yeah. So I don't. Th- it's it's unfortunate because the the capper is spec'd really well but if you can find a jeffsy i don't know if there's a build that's cheap like that that would probably be a better bike if you're looking at a yt for xc and trail absolutely um but there are other options out there i'm always in favor of if you're on a budget buying a bike that is lower end go for that aluminum frame not a carbon frame don't worry about it yeah but buy one that is lower end and then just piece things together as you can you know like us like a sram if you buy the bike and has a two buy you can get SRAM GX for the thing, and it's you can find that for really cheap online, especially if you look around on eBay or anything like that. Yeah. You can find it for really cheap and then upgrade the bike up to a one, forgive me, a one-by drivetrain, and that would be sweet. And then the fork, just with some patience and everything else. And that's how I built up my bike. I don't I don't get free stuff, you know? And, and so I just, with patience, waited for the right deals to come along and got them that way. So... I would definitely look at something that's more of like a traditional trail bike uh, instead of an enduro bike. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. Yep. I like this and we get to spend people's money. Yes. That's nice. Uh, Travis, awesome podcast. Keep it up. Figured since you, your Yeti fanboys, you'd be the ones to ask. I recently bought a Yeti SB5 Plus. That's the... That's the more junk in the trunk bike. Yes. Yeah. It's High a, chain stays, three inch tires, 2.8s yes. from the factory, but it'll fit threes. Yeah. So it's a, it's a mid fat. Yes. You can call it uh, plus bike. He says, and I love it. I'm a one bike kind of guy and it makes the most sense for me in the trails here and for the trails here in Southern Utah. My question is, do you think the Fox float X two would be a worthwhile upgrade for this bike? It originally came with a float. Typically, the trails I ride are Grafton, Gooseberry, and the standard issue trails at Moab. But I also do a fair amount of cross-country type trails. So he's riding a lot of chunk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he came with a float. Okay. Uh, I think the X2 is completely overkill uh, for that bike. Okay. And it's also a short enough stroke where you're not going to take a full advantage of that giant air and the positive and negative air chambers mm-hmm. in the float X2. Personally, every SB5 even the new version of the SB5. I haven't done a 5 Plus yet, but there's no difference here. Right. Put a Float X Evol on it and be done with it. Hmm. That is the best upgrade you can do. Um, you're going to have your three-position um, lever for, on it. For a climbing. Yeah, because yep. as we, you and I both know, with my DHX2, the two-position on the DHX2 and the Float X2 is an on-off switch. So you're going to yep. go from full wide open to a hard Locked. tail instantly and it is locked it's not a progressive it's nothing like that it is a locked out rear which moab if i can think of any place where for an argument for a bike that is not locked out when climbing like that's a good thing yeah moab is it yeah because you've got trail ledges and you've got shelves and and you're able to with a supple rear end you're able to carry so much more momentum and and everything else so so. travis my best answer for you is just get the float x with the evol negative chamber the extra volume negative chamber and be done with it. It comes in the size that you need. Um, Yeti will spec it in or not Yeti. Um, Fox will spec it in with a, a medium compression tune and a medium, uh, a rebound tune. And that's perfect for an aftermarket shock for that bike. It's going to be plusher in open mode than what you have now by far. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a lot more tunable with air volume spacers, all that good stuff. And then 
Yeah, you're good that to go. Well. Yeah, so that's that's my recommendation. You, you brought up an interesting thing there. Um, a lot of people think I, I've seen a lot of people just go, "Well, I don't. I, I want a new shock." So they go onto eBay and they look for a new shock, or they go onto whatever and they just buy whatever the shock is. Yeah, without checking the tune. Yep. It is very important that you check what tune your bike should have. Yeah. You can probably call Fox and they should have some information, yeah. uh, but you can also call the manufacturer of that bike. Yeah. They should have information for you too. Yes. It's very important that you get that right. <clears throat> yeah. Because you could have a, a shock that even though you th- it's the right length and everything else, it could be behaving really poorly. Yeah. We took a, a shock off my old SB66 carbon back in the day and tried to put it on an intense tracer and we had 280 PSI in it and it was still bottoming out on a kid that weighed 150 pounds. Wow. So there you go. Yeah. So it was lots of valving and air volume issues that were just not overcomable from the factory. So we had to send it back and have it revalved. There you are. That makes sense. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, Travis, forgive me, Travis, I'll be in your neck of the woods in March. So I'll, um, let me know if you're up for some, for some riding. I'll be down there with a group of group of bros. It'll be good times. So Moab, you've never ridden there, right, Steven? No. And as you know, I'm not going to be riding anywhere for four months. Yes. And we'll get into that later. Yeah, we will. Um, Alan, he says, hey, guys, digging the show. A couple things before I review on iTunes. He's holding us hostage. He's holding. Oh, man. (laughs) Yikes. In episode four, you spent a good amount of time talking about a race event that sounded great. But you mentioned the name of the race once and only by initials. For those of us who are still learning about all the events and mountain biking in general, it'd be cool to get a little more exposition on terms. Some more, in case you didn't know what that is, aside, which I hope I've, I feel like I've been doing that so far this episode. Yeah. So hopefully, absolutely. and we'll continue to do that. Uh, critiques aside, it's great to have a well-produced, intelligent MTB podcast. You guys offer a good balance between casual conversation and industry talk. I have a great question, or I have a great suggestion. There's a guy in Big Bear who is a beast of a mountain bike racer, single speed and rigid. Oh, Oh, he must be interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, he is intensely active. This guy, he already seemed really intense. Then you use the word intense, intensely active in the community and just, and just a weirdly interesting dude. His name is Alan Laframboise, I'll say, or Laframboise, one of the two. <laughs> As the American people say. Yeah, Laframboise. Um, <laughs> thanks, guys. Alan Sangma. Uh, thanks, Alan, for submitting the question. Uh, first, let's... Um, uh, this Alan dude, Alan, if uh, hopefully you shared the podcast with Alan, Alan, if you're listening, apparently you are an interesting and intense dude that rides a single speed in a rigid bike. And I commend you. I'm not, and, and someday I guess we can, maybe if I'm down in the neck of the woods down there, maybe we can meet up. But it, I, I'm on a Strava right now because Alan did give us Alan's Strava athlete page. Uh, he hasn't ridden this year at all. How intense can That's he be? It's not that intense. <laughs> but and Big Bear way, does have a bunch of snow right now. So. I don't think Alan is pitching himself because Alan has a different last name than Laframboise. And there's one L versus La, two Laframboise. L's in Alan. Correct. So the race. We the were race. talking about a race and we used the acronym TDS. And we had to. Yes. So here's TDS stands for the Dirty Sanchez. It's a private enduro race. Don't Google that. No, you can Google it. It's all over pink oh, bike. Google the race. Yeah, Google the race. Yeah. Just, yeah, just, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Thank you. Just, yeah. <laughs> so the Dirty Sanchez Enduro is an invite-only race where they usually have 50 men and 15 to 25 women, and it's completely private. Um, the reason it's called that. 
And the reason it's called the Dirty Sanchez is Ron and Debbie Sanchez and their son, they are the owners of this property. It's a private ranch with, I believe it's 275 acres. It's amazing. On a, it's all on a hill, and there's trails everywhere, and it's some of the most gnarly riding that you've ever seen, and it's, you'll see- It's dirty. It's, it's dirty. Yeah, yeah. It's the the best red clay in Northern California, so the tackiest dirt, but it makes a mess when it's raining, and there's jagged rocks everywhere, and it's- Poison oak. Poison, poison oak everywhere. Yeah, yeah. ivy. Yeah, it's poison a, oak. Poison thing. Yeah. It's Everywhere. Yeah. If you go off the trail, yeah. you you are scarred. So it's one of those races that while the race itself is private and we don't like to talk about its location. In fact, when we ride there for practice or the races, we're not even allowed to put it on Strava. So these trails are not meant to be publicized at all yeah. because of obvious liability issues. But during the race, spectating is one of the, this is the race to spectate if you're going to spectate at. And you're welcome to, like, anybody's welcome to come for that reason. Yeah. You can go to uh, the the website. You can look up TDS Enduro. You can go to Facebook. They have a Facebook page. They do. They have an Instagram account. Yep. You can get a lot of information there, and there'll be a lot more information coming out soon because the race is coming up. Yeah, and then so we are going to have Ron Sanchez on the... uh, uh, on the podcast here within the month. Yeah. Um, we are, Jonathan and I are going to road trip over to Grass Valley and I'm going to shuttle Jonathan and Ron and a few other people uh, for a half day of riding and then we're going to record a podcast with Ron. So we'll get a lot more information about the Dirty Sanchez and its history and the family and everything because it's just a phenomenal group of people. The Yeah. The whole cycling community in Grass Valley and Nevada City comes together. You know, uh, Cannondale and WTB. It's such a cool place it's, to be, man. It's it is, cool. and it's and these trails are just they're they're just gems in the middle of where no one would think. Yeah, it's just great. Pretty it's, cool. It's awesome. So yeah, you'll so that race in particular. Yes, you're going to get some more information on it, but that's kind of an explanation of what TDS is. Yeah, and and he has a good point that like finding mountain bike races can be kind of tough. It can be. It's not like road racing where every road race is just on USAC or Eventbrite or Bike Reg or something like that. Yeah. It's it's a little tougher to find a lot of these races. They aren't USAC sanctioned, but that that usually just means they're more awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it can be tough, but yeah. hopefully we can spread the word about a lot of events like this. And yeah, I think there will be a whole lot more events that are going to be not USAC sanctioned that are kind of, of popping up. I mean, yeah. l- like Lance Armstrong we talked about in the other episode, yeah. he's got his Aspen 50 and then he's got like, I think he's got plans to do more. Yeah. So, and I bet those events will be super popular. And that's the other thing. If, so. if you guys locally, you know, we're just in the Northern Nevada, Northern California area. So yeah. if any of our listeners know of races like this in their areas that are not so publicly known, let us know about them. We'll exactly. talk about it. Yep. Exactly. Right. Uh, we're all in all ears on events like that. And Absolutely. even like, and if we can travel to them and, and even like maybe even help out those events, we're all about it. Exactly. It'd be cool. Yep. So, uh, next question is from Johnny, uh, gents, I hope you guys are doing well. Five stars an excellent podcast question is a proper bike fitting as important in a mountain or mountain biking, especially XC, like it is in a road bike. If it is, can I translate my road measurements to my cross country mountain bike? I know you guys recommended the, and actually, um, let's stop there. Yeah. Let's we answer go that. Let's answer that one. Uh, yeah, bike fit is, is important on a bike, on a mountain bike. Um, you're going to be spending time pedaling on a mountain bike, just as, especially XC. Yeah. And that's going to be important. You're 
talking about allowing your body to work the way it needs to work. And that's what a bike fit is all about. Um, allowing it to work where it needs to work, but also it should be in a spot where you're putting out power optimally. Um, getting a bike fit though, from old, you know, old Davey that owns a bike shop who is, you know, all about Colnagos and old road bikes and has fit people with like Santas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. De Santas, exactly. <laughs> and who's like fit people for ages and is, has you stretched out like Reglamond on a road bike. Probably not he the best guy. He carries a plumb bob around in his pocket. <laughs> Don't get a Don't fit. get a bike fit. Yeah. Um, so that the thing with that is it can be tricky. I think a lot of people. Yeah. You know, there's kind of like a the bike fitter in in yeah. in every community, and and that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to give you a good bike fit. Period. But especially if he comes from the road side of things, mountain bike might be different, yeah. or might it or might at least understanding if a bike fitter understands that there is a difference that you want in a mountain bike fit versus a uh, a road fit. Yeah. So that's it. The differences yeah. that you would want on the mountain bike. In most cases, on your road bike, you want you will be running a maximal seat height. I'm not talking about a maximal for your frame, but maximal for the leg extension yes. that we're talking about. Yeah. For a mountain bike, it may not be faster to do that. If you, you might ride, be three quarters of an inch lower exactly, than maximal height. Exactly. Like back east, if you're riding in back east or the Pacific Northwest and you're doing a lot of XC stuff. And on it's a just, high post, like on a fixed post. Yeah, and it's just slick and rocky yeah. and you're constantly, while pedaling uphill, having to kind of mantle up on top of things. and You need to get away from that seat post. Exactly. Yeah. Having just a little bit more room can really help you be more efficient and yes. continue pedaling through things. Absolutely. So that's one thing to, to keep in mind. Now, um, the other thing that I would say too is that your reach and we're talking about your effective reach when you're fit on the bike, that should probably be less on a mountain bike than a road bike. XC, XC, you can get as closer. That's the closest you're going to get to your road bike. But even then my reach on my mountain bike is shorter than my, than my, uh, road bike. And the reason for that is because I want to shift my body backward on the bike. That's when I'm going through technical terrain. So, Yeah, so your reach is going to be be off, uh, or it's going to be slightly. Probably you'll be shifted further back on the bike a bit. So, yeah, it, your fit will vary. It is very important, though, if you are doing a lot of time pedaling. It is extremely important. Yeah. So that's what I would say. Uh, his next question, he says, um, "Any recommendations for a good XC bike? Nothing too fancy, but raceable. Maybe around the same pr- price point of the Hawk Hill." I get lots of Amy or army bros, not Amy bros. Um, I got, I got lots of army bros who want to get into mountain biking, but they get a bit scared with the prices. Also, if you ever stop by Colorado Springs, I have a retired army bro that owns a cool, he says, simple local bike shop there, a bicycle experience, Todd hood. So shout out to bicycle experience and Todd hood. He's a good rider too. Hey Todd. Hey Todd. Um, I actually do end up usually around that neck of the woods a couple times a year. So um, yeah, at some point I'll stop by. We'll say hello. Yeah. Um, and he says, apologies in advance for any improper English grammar. I'm a Puerto Ricano. So, but no apologies, no apologies. Yeah. No apologies at all. Awesome, man. Thank you for writing in. Thanks for your service. I assume you're an army guy. I don't know. You have a lot of army bros you say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so good XC bike, nothing too fancy, but raceable. So raceable, but not too fancy is going to put you minimum $3,000, right? Is that to you? 2,600, 3,000. I mean, uh, I think a top fuel yeah. from Trek, they have one for 2,700 bucks. That's 25 about, to three. I yeah. Would say. I'd say right in that price range. Yeah. You're not going to go bad with anything. No, you know, you're good. Uh, 
yeah, Trek Top Fuel, uh, Cannondale Scalpel SI, and we're going to get into that review here in a little bit. Specialized Epic Specialized or Epic. try out the Camber. Or Camber. The Camber, well, <clears throat> the new Camber is a little more aggressive, but yeah. the, the older Camber was like a sleeper for XC stuff sometimes. It was a re- pretty darn good bike yeah. for that. What is Giant's um, Anthem? Anthem. Giant Anthem 29 It's a little bit of its own beast. It's yeah. kind of lengthy, and it's got its quirks, but yeah. uh, people make it work just fine in the pro ranks, so I think yeah. it'll be just fine. Bottom line is look at any of the any of the larger bike brands. You're going to be looking 2500 to 3000 bucks, yeah. and go ride some bikes. Yeah. See what fits you best. See what you like best, and see what shop you like best, because that's also a big part of it. Yeah, kind of buying into that. Because you're buying into service. If you buy from that shop, you probably have some type of service agreement that they'll give you, but then also, uh, ideally, they, you know, you buy from a shop. They know who you are. You come back in. They'll know what bike you have. They'll be Building able to a relationship. You out better. Yeah. yeah. So try to find the right shop. Yeah, for sure. So do that. And and sometimes the shop does come down to the deciding factor for some people. And we've talked about. I've sold many before. bikes like that because of yeah, just the shop experience, not exactly. the bike. Yeah, same here. So, um, and let's with that, let's go into the news. And thank you, by the way, for submitting your questions. Yeah, we had lots of questions. That was we just a, a lot. few of them. That was just a few of them. We couldn't get through all of them. Um, and that's so you can do so at mtbpodcast.com. Uh, you can go on there, and there's a form for you to submit your questions. And it's a period dot. You don't actually write dot. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Thanks for the clarification. Just making sure. Because I'm, sure I'm everyone, not the smartest. I'm sure everyone was typing in dot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go into the news. Uh, one thing that wasn't publicized. I thought that was a little weird that it wasn't publicized, but Leah Davison is no longer on specialized. She's on the Luna pro team now, which good for her. I think that's a good thing because Luna is probably one of the best. Yes. I think one of the best, especially, I mean, not even just in the women's, they're one of the best funded, one of the best supported XC teams out there. I agree. Yeah. I think it's really cool. Leah Davison is one of the nicest people, by the way, if you want to show up at a race and, or if you're at a race and she's there, I'm not saying interrupt her as she's going up to the line or something. No, definitely interrupt her. Yeah. 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 But she's definitely one of the people that you could come across, say hi, and she would probably just chat to you for a while. She's just so cool. She's so kind. So um, but she's off specialized on the Luna pro team. It seems like specialized is kind of like cut things back, um, a bit with her teams this year. So, yeah. um, I know the bike industry is kind of predicting some, yeah, some downturn, so that could make sense. Yeah, um, absolutely. But cool to see her on Luna pro team. That could also mean that she's up in our neck of the woods some because, you know, there are a number of Luna pro team riders. I mean, we have Katarina that's up in Truckee. She's always racing around here. So, well, she lives in the Bay area now, but yeah, yeah, she, she still visits up here a lot. Yeah, she does. Yeah. She spends a good amount of time up here in the summer. And too. Luna has the women's clinics all summer long up in Tahoe and everything anyway. So there's, it, she'll be up here. Yeah. So it'll be cool. And if you are listening, Leah, and if you do end up, we know you are. Yeah, and if you, that was creepy. Yeah. Um, but, and if you end up at a race or up in this, up in the neck of the woods, it'd be cool to have you on the podcast or go riding with you. So yes. Uh, the next thing Shimano released their version of their, Oh, they've had their version of a GoPro for a while. Yes. Um, which it seems like any, like we could probably make a GoPro. We could just reach out to a Chinese manufacturing plant that yeah. makes GoPros. And then we could just have a brand of whatever we want. Yeah. It's the GoFlow. GoFlow. Okay. Yeah. That works. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, but Shimano's looks different for to very different. Credit. It's a lot like the Garmin. Yes. It's more similar to the, the old verb, the old the verb. One. Yeah. Yep. Not the new one. And, but here's something that's cool. So that camera, it connects to the other sensors that you have on your bike. 
So via the DI2 system. Via the DI2 system. Yeah. So if you have that and you had a power meter that also fed into the DI2 system, which pretty much just means a Shimano power meter, which just came out on the road, hasn't come out on a mountain bike yet. Yeah. But it will auto record when you attack. So when you get on the gas, it'll mm-hmm. turn on. Yeah. So basically that just means that they have set triggers in that camera or in the system so that when something crosses a threshold, it will save the footage from X amount of time before that or after that, which is really cool because I could absolutely see that tying into things like if you drop your seat and you have an electronic dropper, that means that things are about to get serious, right? When you drop your saddle, you don't just drop your saddle casually, right? Not usually. You're about to get rowdy. Yeah. So that's when we you like to party. Exactly. Yeah. So that's when you'd want to turn the camera on, which yep. is cool. Yeah. Um, you could do things like if you shift into a higher gear, you're going faster. That probably means there might be something interesting or really boring. Depends if you're doing like Leadville, who, you know, it would be really boring, but don't record that experience. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> remember that experience. Type yeah. three fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this, I think this is pretty cool. Uh, even with suspension, when suspension becomes like that, like, you know, um, what is it? Pink bike. I think they have like the whole feature, like when showing guys bottoming out, at World Cup DH races, yep. or the racers, you know? Yeah. And you could actually kind of time that. So anyways, cool th- stuff to see them adding triggers in. So uh, the next part is, um, so Bike Magazine is doing their Bible of bike tests right now, which just means a massive amount of reviews on bikes. And the cool part is, these are more like opinion pieces on the bike. Of course. Which, which is, is good. I like super that. good. Yeah. Because we have enough of the, it's laterally stiff and vertically compliant. And it's, you know what I mean? Like we have enough of the, 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 always the normal bike reviews. Like this is just opinion pieces. And it's really cool because you usually get it from a few different people and they have videos to go inside with an art or to coincide with an article. Yeah. Really cool. They tested the Cannondale. And by the way, they're all awesome people at Bike Mag, at least all the ones that I've met. The guys and gals over there. I are can't like, confirm that, listeners, because I've never met any of them. Yeah, the guys and gals there are awesome. You, you'll probably see them at Sea Otter if you're at Sea Otter, by the way. And if you do, and let them know that you appreciate the Bible of Bike Test because it's honestly like a huge amount of work and it's, it's a really valuable resource that we have. They tested the Cannondale Scalpel SI, and Stephen has a soft spot for Cannondale things. I have a weird soft spot. Yeah. It's a weird one. But I did race for them. It's like and the I baby's it's like the baby's soft spot, but it just never filled in on your head. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So what did they say about it? Uh they said that essentially what I gathered from it is they said that it's more like the ASR yes. than it's ever been. <laughs> yep. And it's like, yeah, yeah. You know, slacker head to ASR angle. meaning the Yeti the ASR. Yeti ASR. Yeah. Drink. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually am right. Um water. Really what it boiled down to is they said, look, for this $5,300 model that we got, which had an XT 1x11 drivetrain and stands crest wheels. The new ones. Which the are, new ones, the Mark III. about them, which have great reviews. The only complaint that they had about the bike was that it didn't have a dropper on it. So they put a 170B1 reverb dropper on it. After my own heart. It. That's what I got. Yeah. And they went out and ripped on this thing for hours, and they loved the bike. They said it's phenomenal. It's way better than it, than the last version. It got rid of the twitch with that slacker head tube, yep. but then pulling that 55 millimeter rake out, it's, I think it's getting better and better. And I know you're weird with Cannondales, but yeah. this bike really is a good bike. Yeah. And that's the, that's the cool thing to see. I think that <clears throat> the last scalpel had some weird things to it. Weird quirks. Yeah. And, and Cannondales usually do in, in their defense. True. I don't want to say it's a defense, right. but they always have some sort of weird quirk about them. 
because as a company, the way that they design and engineer things is they take the most seemingly simple solution and say, no, we're going to do it this really difficult way. (laughs) And we were talking about this the other, uh, the other day. Um, but I think that, you know, when you do that much of your own designing and your own development and your own product, I mean, they do a lot of their stuff themselves. Nobody builds forks anymore. Cannondale does. Yeah. Nobody builds factory cranks anymore. Cannondale does. Their shock doesn't work like a normal shock. It pulls. Well, the dyad, but the dyad is changing for 2017, 18. They do so many weird things. So, but you know, and the one thing that I do have to say that they, I do enjoy this because I have a soft spot for lefties. They said that this lefty is better than any lefty that they've ever ridden. I I get that was punny. Soft spot for because it's suspension. Yeah, right? yeah, that was Thank good. You. Yeah. Um. So it, I think that this bike, it's they're all doing what the ASRC has done, and I'm only saying this because I'm very proud of my bike. I think it's very well. Good Yeti bike. was the first to do this. With really, they were. Bikes. And it's funny because I think a lot of people look at that bike as a trail bike, and if you, f- you know, three years ago you looked at that geometry and you went, you didn't think XC bike. It's sub seventy head tube angle. It has to be a trail bike. Yep, but we're finding out that, you know, with honestly, I think a lot of it comes down to suspension getting so much better. Yeah. They're able to get such a solid pedaling platform and you're able to get really good, you know, uh, compliance across the board in various scenarios. And it's just helping out a lot. So I think it's really cool to see Ryan mentioned in the review, he said that he was riding a plus bike beforehand. So he had just oodles of traction, right? Yeah. Uh, which is what happens when you ride a plus bike. It's like Velcro on the, uh, with the earth, but he said that he was surprised at how far he was leaning this bike over into the turns and feeling totally comfortable with it. Yeah. And I thought that that was a pretty cool point, especially because he was rolling, they were rolling on more or less XC tires too. So racing Rolfs. Mm-hmm. So pretty cool. I, I, I think it's, and they have a bunch of reviews up there so you can check them all out They're Um, yeah, pretty cool stuff. And the scalpel, if you've heard anybody badmouth the scalpel, try it out. Um, before you, because of the previous version, you know, if you've heard any bad mouthing from that, very different, animal. give the new one a shot, different yeah. deal, different, totally deal, different deal. So I know, um, Keegan Swenson and the rest of the dudes that ride on the Cannondale three three rocks teams, like Rafael Gagne and all those guys, yeah. when they got the new one, they were so blown away by it. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's gotta be good. Yeah. Uh, the next bit of news, um, the last one, actually last bit of news is Canfield partners with DVO suspension for OEM stuff, which is kind of a big move. It is a huge move. Now, because, granted, Canfield isn't making as many bikes as Cannondale. Well, of course. But it's still a big move. But for DVO, that's a big step up because, I mean, look how long it took them to come out with their air rear shock, the tow pass. Yes. Look how long it came, it took um, for them to get the the uh, the jade out, the single yes. crown, and all, all mountain fork. Yeah. They... I almost got tired of DVO before their stuff came out because it was taking so long. I think everyone kind of did, you know? But I'm glad to see that they upped their game and they got to this point. So let's see if their product is really that good. Yeah, they're they're unique. Because is it, it, DVO comes from, is it a um, couple of the guys from Marzocchi? Some engineers that's, from Marzocchi, I think. that's That sounds right. I think that's yeah, what it was. But I've it's been a while before. since this all happened, so yeah. I don't even remember. But... That's good. Marzocchi always is known for having very smooth, a lot of smoothness. Yeah. And so. every, every jade and, um, the one topaz that I've played with, they felt great. Yeah. I don't know what. And they're green. 
and they're green, which is good for a lot of things. Yeah. For green bikes. Or yeah. For blue, green bikes. Yeah. So yeah. Good. Green things. Um, the other <laughs> thing that's cool about that too is Canfield. I, I like that brand. They're like, they, they do things in a, they're, they're not like Cannondale in the sense that they go way off, you know, the rails and do things totally differently, but they definitely take their own approach. Yeah. Me. And they build bikes that are really like focused on going fast, going hard. Like they're not, they're not going to be building a pedestrian XC bike any day. No. Anytime soon. I don't like, think they build anything pedestrian. Yeah. And you look at, I mean, they're just the CBF suspension platform alone. It's just, I don't have any time riding one of these bikes. I have no idea how they ride. Yeah. My brother just, has one. They just look like, the, he has the one, right? He has the one. Yeah. So the balance is the new version of that. And it's. It's impressive. I've only pedaled around on it, not not like taking it out for a whole day or anything like that, but I've I'm impressed with that thing. Yeah. So really cool bikes. Um let's get into the meat of what we wanted to talk about today, which is always ironic because we spend more time on everything else. Which is fine so because it's like, we like we're building a, it's like we're building a vegetarian burger here or something, because the meat is so small it's like hardly I existent. Think it's a BLT. It's a gotcha. It's a BLT with a little bit of B. Okay. Uh, so uh you just did a move or pulled a move that kind of shocked some people. I you, sold my Yeti. Yeah. I don't own a mountain bike right now. You don't own one. I have a cross bike. Yes. Yeah, so that's I have it. two cross bikes. And that's, you have two. Oh yeah. You I have my Pinarello still. And then so I have my pretentious. Super <laughs> <laughs> a Pinarello cross bike. Yeah, somebody has to walk around with their pinkies out on cross bikes. <laughs> somebody does. Yeah. You'll do it. Um, so, but you sold your bike. I did. Why do you, not because you just want to ride your pretentious cross bike and your other cross bike forever though, right? No. Yeah. So what's the, what's the deal? So with the way that I buy bikes, as soon as I build a bike or purchase a bike, I put it on pink bike for a ridiculous price and everybody <laughs> sends me, I'll give you, you know, $6 for that bike Yeah. and I'm never going to sell it for that, Yeah. but it gets the attention and gets people seeing the bike. And I'm sorry, mm. I build dream bikes. I do. That's what I do. You don't build bikes that somebody, all right, I'll, I'll rephrase that. Every time somebody sees your bike, they, they stare. Absolutely. Every bike that I've ever owned. I don't think I've ever... We're in the same boat. You and I are both definitely that yep. way. So what I do is I put these dream builds up for what would be a good price at its number, but typically when you see pink bike and eBay ads, they're not... They're going to no matter what. No offense, <laughs> listeners, but you know what I mean. It's 2017 now. We can't say these yeah, things. Dang it. <laughs> um, so I do that to just get attention, and then I just slowly entertain offers, and when I get a serious offer... Yeah. With a num with a dollar amount that I know I'm gonna you know that I'm gonna be comfortable with, right? Then I just sell it. Yeah, and I can turn around and you know for what I sold my five five for just you know last week, I took the DHX two shock off, I took the RC two damper out and put the Fit four damper back into the fork, mm-hmm. and I put just the stock DT Swiss wheels on it. So yeah. I kept my expensive shock, kept my three hundred dollar damper out of the fork, kept my. Um, my three thousand dollar NV wheel set, and sold it to guy for just under five grand. Pretty darn good deal. So he got a good deal on a seventy one hundred dollar bike with some upgrades to it, and it's immaculate. And it's immaculate. It has four hundred miles on it, and I'll just turn around and I'll build something new. Mm. But so that's let's talk about the selling side of things. Yes, because most people have a huge difficulty selling bikes. Yeah, uh, I I have a hard time even selling bikes, but I like this idea that you just had of build up the bike, and if it's desirable, put it on pink bike. Yeah. And put it at a price that, 
we'll make it so that people will have to come up and to, to kind of grab it for that price. Yeah. And, and so then you have some time to enjoy it and then you can sell it whenever you want. While it's still worth money. A lot of people try to keep bikes for two to three to five, you know, however yeah. long years and then think that they're going to get half of what they paid for it. That's not the case. Doesn't happen. A year after a $10,000 bike is new, it's barely worth five grand. Barely. Barely. Yeah. And that's if it's a nice, if it's, if it's a $10,000 Trek or a $10,000 Specialized, it's probably not worth five grand. Exactly. If it's a $10,000 Yeti or it a $10,000, any boutique evil. build, an evil yeah. would be worth over five grand. Yep. That's, there's a difference there, volume, supply and demand. So you have to think about it from that, yes. that stance. Also, so, I've noticed XC bikes are in, it doesn't make sense perhaps, but XC bikes that are high end are one of the hardest things to sell. Abs- especially hardtails. Yes. Because the fact <clears throat> is it's a really expensive bike that is, a, has a very narrow niche of, of expertise, right? And a lot it's of like guys, Pinarello cross bikes. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. It's never going to sell. I can't sell <laughs> <Yeah>. that thing. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think that it's it's. So I've always sold my bikes within a year of buying them, and that's what I always do. Yeah. Every year I replace a bike. The ASRC, I can't quit it. I can't quit you. It's I'm I, I'm never going to sell that bike. That one's going to be one that I keep forever, right? And you're just going to build another yeah. bike this season. And I'll build another one, and and that's how it works. But that bike I'll always keep. Yeah. Like, that's the type of th- I would hang it on my wall, and I'd be totally fine and with And because you'd never get what you put into that bike, ever. Never would. Never. I've put a lot of money into that bike. Yeah. Too much. Yeah. So, but it's not just because, uh, like, you know, I, I'm, I'll, I won't get the money out, so I won't sell it. I also have, like, a connection to that bike. I yes. love it so much. It's your first real Yeti. Oh yeah, it you, is. Yeah. First Yeti. And it's also, um, it's just in terms of performance, it's the best one I've had. So okay. we're talking about selling bikes here. If you sell, or if you're looking to sell your bike and you feel that type of attachment to it, sure, that's fine. Uh, you can keep it, but if you sell it later, you will lose a ton of money on the bike. Yeah. So if you sell it within a year, and you buy that bike brand new and you take care of it. It doesn't take a whole lot. Like if you wash your bike every time you ride, I know that sounds crazy to some of you. That's what we do. Yeah. If you wash your bike every time you ride, it only takes 10 minutes, 15 minutes and your bike is clean. And so if you do that and that's just your post ride routine, when a year comes around and you're selling that bike, it looks like it's brand new. In fact, it might even look better than the one on the showroom. Yeah. So especially if you put parts on it and done anything else to it. Yeah. So, uh, the one thing that I would say though, is if you put upgrades on a bike that will just make the bike more likely to sell, but it doesn't mean you're going to get that that you will get the money back. That's a common misconception. Absolutely. Uh, now where should people sell their bikes where do you put yours up? I've had the best luck on pink bike. Yeah. I've sold. Yeah. Pink bike sometimes Craigslist, but that's it. I won't, I won't spend the money to sell on eBay eBay, it's unless expensive. I really have to, but it's 10% when it sells. Yep. Plus then you have PayPal fees on top of that. I would rank it. Uh, well, first for me is friends or, or acquaintances. Of course. Number two. And, and just always, you know, if your bike is also no, like I have people that tell me, if you ever sell that thing, I want it. So I do too. with my bikes. My my real estate friend that bought my Jekyll, he's mad that I sold my five five. And I said, Don't be mad. I'm just gonna build a better one. Yeah, you can buy that one. And then. he'll buy that one. Yeah. So <clears throat> if you keep your bike clean all the time, then the people you know will always want your bike. And yeah. that may, that helps. And then but also so it goes friends and then pink bike for me. 
And then I've tried MTBR and I got zero hits on it. I've never even, I didn't know Pink Bike, or I'm sorry, MTBR had a for sale area. It has area, a classifieds actually. area. I didn't know that. It used to be paid for. Um, and I've tried it. It's not paid for now. Uh, I've tried it in zero hits. Gotcha. So I don't know. It, it's crazy because their forum is really active. They have a lot of people in their forum, but I, yeah. don't, I don't know what the deal is. So, but, uh, MTBR has an option to sell it there, but, uh, eBay is really common. What you see, what do you think about selling your bike on consignment at a bike shop? That's fine. The thing you got to remember is in order for a bike shop to want to sell your bike, they're going to have to make a minimum of 30%. Yep. So if your bike is only worth three grand, you have to be okay with them taking off. eight, 900 bucks of that. Yep. It's okay. Um, and that's okay. You know, Great Basin, we did that a lot with Yetis when people would want to upgrade their 575 or their ASR5 to a new SB bike. Yeah. You Which, know, we and we're bringing these up because they're, they're more... They're, they're unique bikes. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. And, and the reason that that was a good idea is there's a lot of people who want Yetis but didn't want to spend the money on them. So it was good for the shop because we could sell $2,000 575s or $2,000, yeah. you know, carbon stuff. Right. You know, it's two years old and we can sell it for two grand or 2500 yeah. to a customer. Now and the, they're stoked that they're on a, on a Yeti now. Mm-hmm. And then we also sold the new bike. But that's, Now the hard part about this though is when you go to a, for example, a Trek Giant or Specialized dealer, the one of the big three. Yeah. And you have a run-of-the-mill midline, mid-range build bike, and you're trying to sell that, and you want to get top dollar for that bike, but somebody's looking over there and they see the same bike. Yeah. And it's but not this year's exactly version. yeah, and it's not exactly a unique or special bike or anything else like that. You yeah, know, it's not it's like hard. a Yeti or an Evil or anything else like yeah. that. It's difficult. It's a lot harder to sell that bike. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that consignment can work as long as you're willing to take less. Yeah. You know, um, and a lot of bike shops, they'll try to sell them on consignment. If they can't sell them, they'll just eBay them because they have the bike boxes, they have UPS accounts and everything else, and they can probably manage that. And they can professionally pack them, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. So that helps. So that's selling a bike. Keep it clean. Take very good pictures of your bike regularly. So then you can share those pictures. Like I just let Jonathan take pictures of my bikes. Yeah. Yeah. And then I post them, and everybody's like, they're beautiful. I'm for hire for photographer stuff if you want. Actually, I'm not. I take that back. I don't have any time for that. Yeah, so, I didn't think so. Yeah, um, but uh, something else that I thought of here with this is um, my. I have a motorcycle, a Ducati Monster 696. It's a sweet bike. Looks very good. I have taken very good pictures of that. I put that motorcycle online to sell it, and then I, I also said I can't quit you, and I couldn't sell it. I just tried, but I couldn't. I've always yeah. wanted that bike. I had people... So that bike, it has a lot of miles on it, comparatively speaking. Okay. And I put it up for 5K, which was dirt cheap, but street bikes always sell for next to nothing. Yeah. And I had people offering me 5K cash instantly that day because the bike looked so good. And there were the same, the same bike with less mileage on it was selling for less money and they didn't care. They wanted that. They wanted mine because it just looks better. And then you told them no. Yeah, I told them and no. you kept it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I told one guy, I said, if you could give me 12 grand, I'll, I'll take it. And <laughs> you went from five to 12. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that was the cost on the other bike I want. So yeah, but no. So pictures honestly go a long way. And I'm not saying like, um, and I'm not saying use the iPhone seven because it's fancy or something. It's got a fancy camera. I'm saying like not only just use a good camera, but have a person that knows what they're doing with 
portrait and model photography with a bike or a car or something like that. Find or just good, look at good pictures of bikes and yes. then take those same pictures. Find a car photographer. That's actually probably a really good idea. Yes. And offer them some, offer them a, a six pack or something and, and get them pizza or whatever and, and also pay them, but pay them or I'm saying, give them the extras just because it's something they usually might not do. Of course. And they will probably be able to do a really good job. Yes. Car photographers. They probably know of good places to take a picture of your bike of too. Good backgrounds mm-hmm. are key. Next week, we're <laughs> going to get into how to build a bike, Steven, because that's the next step in your evolution. And I actually want input from other people. Yes. What they think we so should do. We're going to be talking about the process of how you build a bike and we're going to get granular on this thing. Yeah. We're going to go in depth. We want to know what you guys do usually when you get a bike. Um, do you buy a complete bike and then what do you change out first? Or are you the type of person that buys a frame and then you handpick the components and build it that way? Uh, yeah, we want to know what you guys do on, on builds and we're going to share what we do and hopefully we can learn from you guys too. It'll be interesting. Uh, so that'll be next week, but let's finish off this one with our picks. We're only at a, an we were going to hit the minute or the hour, six minute thing, maybe. Oh, good. Let's four. go. Yeah. So, uh, my picks for this weekend, if you're listening to this, it's on a Friday when it first comes out. If you're listening to this on the weekend, turn on YouTube. I did a remote thing with my hand, but that's not right. Do the types and go to YouTube and check out, look up UCI cyclocross and you will see the world champs are live this weekend. The reason you should watch this twofold. Number one, those dudes are actually pretty darn good at handling a bike. Yes, they are. Number So you can appreciate it since you're a mountain biker yeah. watching this, right? Number two, some of those dudes, despite being very good bike handlers, will fall. And it's there's a certain amount of uh, enjoyment, shall we say, that a mountain biker usually gets of a lycra-clad person using the wrong tool in the job. I think it's the NASCAR effect. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, um, it, it's entertaining too, but some of the best athletes in the world, they are going to be racing cross this weekend. Uh, I think it, there's predicting some muddy conditions. So, but we'll see how that goes. should be interesting. So check that out. That's my pick. I have a weird pick. Okay. It's the Siemens MRI machine that I was sitting in today. <laughs> Let's go over this. From my very unprofessional and YouTube educated opinion <laughs> on the subject, sounds reliable. <laughs> I got a disc um, with all the images of my MRI today. Did they give you a CD? They gave me a CD. It's actually a DVD. <laughs> that is the best thing I've ever heard. So, do you I was, have it? Uh, they gave you a DVD. Yeah, they gave me a DVD do with have the a program. Com- do you have a computer yeah. with a DVD drive? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was looking at them all day today. And I think I just revealed myself as a pretentious Apple person. You did. Okay, sorry. It's okay. Continue. Uh, so it looks I like apologize. I actually did a complete tear on my ACL, oh. and I have a torn meniscus on the the medial. And you plateau, didn't. And you didn't no. even get featured on Jerry of the day. I didn't, but I. And I did it skiing <laughs> of all yep. things, obviously, as we've discussed already. And if you don't know what Jerry of the day is, look it up on Instagram, and you are very welcome. It's. You'll spend some hours there. Yep. <laughs> but that's my pick of the day because I don't get to ride bikes or ski for the next four months. <sighs> Sad day. So I just get to talk about things and build a cool bike that It'd I'll get good. to ride eventually. Yeah. And and we should be starting a build possibly soon for, for my wife as well. Good. She'll be fun. And I will employ you for this as well, Stephen. Okay. You'll need things to do. Yeah. 
Idle, idle hands are the devil's plaything. That's not going to be idle. I've still got differential <laughs> equations and physics two to deal with this Truth. semester. So on the note of physics, since that's very exciting, let's end this podcast episode. Fine. Um, let's, uh, yeah, mtbpodcast.com. Submit your questions. Uh, tell us what you do with bike builds. Uh, share this podcast. You can find it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Store, anywhere else. Follow us on Instagram Follow and us Facebook. on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We're all over the place. Um, but yeah, follow us, share us, leave us reviews. We would love that. And hopefully we can get this thing blowing up even bigger. Do we get to tweet some climate change stuff like the, the <laughs> alternate facts groups, Sure, the government groups? Sure. We Fight can. the power, man. Yeah, sure. Okay. Why not? Fine. So look forward to that. I'm yes. sure that'll be going up. Yeah. 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 No doubt. All right, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for joining us. Have a nice day. guys jonathan here just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro it comes from wave riders entertainment my good friend tommy walter check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to we'll talk to you next week